Good morning. We hope you had a great weekend. This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, January 20th. I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. We hope you are having a wonderful holiday as we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. On today's show, we will feature our interview with Dr. King's niece, Alveda King. This interview was originally aired on January 21st, 2019. And we also take a few moments to listen to the speech that changed history. An interesting fact about the I Have a Dream speech is that Dr. King almost did not deliver that portion of the speech. That's right, Rachel. He had been advised against it, as some had said it sounded a bit trite, but he chose to insert the message of his dream when American gospel singer Mahalia Jackson yelled out, Tell him about the dream, Martin. Before we get to today's show, Rob and I would like to tell you about one of our other fantastic podcasts here at the Heritage Foundation. It's called Heritage Explains, and it breaks down the policy issues that we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher cover current events with Heritage Foundation experts. For example, what's going on with impeachment? How bad is San Francisco's homeless problem? And how will Iran respond to President Trump's latest move? Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed and are entertaining. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. We're joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Alveda King, the niece of civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King, welcome. It's an honor to speak to you again. Well, it's always wonderful to speak with the Heritage team and to everyone who's going to see or listen to this. Hello, everyone. Wonderful. Well, as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day today, I want to ask how your uncle has shaped our culture in America on issues like civil rights and your own life. Martin Luther King Jr. was born 90 years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, as what was known as a Negro little boy. And of course, he grew up in a time when the South especially was segregated and all of that. However, he was raised by parents, one whose grandparents were slaves and one whose grandparents were from Cork, Ireland. And so as in that marriage, they saw every human being as a person of worth and dignity. They raised all three of their children that way. One was my dad, Reverend A.D. King, my Aunt Christine King Ferris, and Uncle M.L., Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So that was his worldview from birth, and he left as a legacy that same worldview. Are there ways today that you think society, media, or even others have misrepresented your uncle's conviction on the civil rights issues? Well, what has happened with my uncle's legacy from a media perspective, or what I call a secular worldview, and I mean no harm when I say that, but both of those worldviews would try to remember the philosophy and the legal aspect of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s message, but they forget the spiritual aspect. And so as one who's also a civil rights leader, in the, from the 20th century now to the 21st century. I was there and I marched and went to jail with those great leaders. I was a young lady, a teenage girl. However, I remember the prayer meetings, how often we came together and prayed. I remember that everything we did was founded on the Bible. One of my favorite songs, Paul and Silas were bound in jail, had no money to pay their bail. Keep your eye on the prize. 
hold on. And of course, the prize was the love of God towards all people and the salvation of humanity. So I believe that we have not given full credence to the spiritual aspect of the message of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which includes sanctity of life, uh, procreative marriage, a man and a woman marrying with a commitment, if God wills, to birth and raise children in a healthy manner, taking care of the least of these. The poor will always be with us, but they should never be mistreated or abused, and we should help the least of these and help all human beings. And so the sins that we know now and we can call crimes against humanity, for instance, sex trafficking, abortion, uh, mistreatment of the homeless, all these types of things, of course, that would not have been what Martin Luther King Jr. would have wanted us to do to each other. And, you know, one of his famous quotes, we must learn to live together as brothers and I'll add as sisters or perish together as fools. He full understood, Acts 1726, of one blood, God created the human race. We're not separate races and we're designed to love each other. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story and perspective. I want to ask uh, about your personal involvement, because many people know that you've worked with your uncle and family and marched for civil rights, uh, but fewer people might be familiar with how you became involved with the pro-life movement. Can you share about your journey and how your uncle's beliefs have influenced your life? I, during the uh, 20th century, was part of what was called the Fair Housing Movement, led by my dad, Reverend A.D. King, in concert with his brother, Martin Luther King, Jr. And I began to look at civil rights very closely with an understanding of how important to treat each other as brothers and sisters, as human beings, was. So I grew up with that philosophy. I Abortion was illegal during the uh, lifetime of my uncle, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So he would not have had a real platform against abortion. It was illegal. It was unthinkable, pretty much. And so people were still doing that in secret somewhat. However, in 1973, when Roe v. Wade became legal in America, then it became legal to destroy the life of the least of these. The baby in the womb had no attorney and no lawyer. So it was very apparent that that was a civil right. However, that was couched and clothed in a fantasy that the baby in the womb was not a person. It was a blob of tissue. It was a lump of flesh. It was okay to get an abortion because that's not a person. And, you know, right now I'm executive producer on the film, the new Rosie Wade film uh, that's produced by Nick and Kathy. Nick uh, Loeb and Kathy Beckerman, John Boyd, uh, who also appears in the movie, Nick does, I do. But we are giving the real story about how that little baby in the womb was deprived of the rights, deprived of a voice. So even though in the early days, around 73, I still bought that story that it wasn't a baby. I had two secret abortions and a miscarriage. But in 1983, when I became born again, I realized that These were human beings, including my babies, who are in heaven. And I repented of all of my sins, and I became a voice for life. So you mentioned being a voice for life this past weekend uh, on Saturday, actually on Friday. uh, People from across the country came to the United States Capitol and to the mall and marched for life. And how do you think this event, which has been years and years, I think this was the 46th March for Life, how has that played a role in the pro-life movement? 
Well, I was invited to do the closing prayer at the March for Life. I've attended many of them since 2003, every year, and this year has been no exception. If you look back at the news accounts, you may not see the hundreds of thousands of people who were gathered there, but we were there, including young people. And every year we come and we march for life, and this year has been no exception. Well, thank you for sharing that. Dr. King, I want to ask about, you know, the state of race relations in America today. Rachel and I uh, have the benefit of working for an inspiring leader in, in Kay Coles James here at the Heritage Foundation. Who's Absolutely. <laughs> she shared with us her own experiences growing up in Richmond, Virginia, where she integrated um, as a young black woman in all white school and experienced uh, incidents of racism uh, in her own life. And I think uh, we continue to have that today. I think very few people would would dispute that. What is your advice for overcoming some of those challenges and having a conversation where people may better be able to understand each other and, uh, and the different perspectives that they might have growing up? Well, Kay and I served together as presidential appointees in the George W. Bush administration. Tremendous foundations were laid during those days, and both of us having come from experiences of having experienced racism, but come to the reality and through nurture and nature that we are one human race. There is Skin color does not denote or define who we are. And that's a message that's still very relevant today. Treating each other as human beings, having the ability to love each other, to listen to each other, to communicate with each other, and to resolve our differences nonviolently in a loving and, for me, Christ-like manner. That's something that I do share with Heritage, and Heritage has been such a wonderful research institution for me uh, throughout the years. And so I'm very grateful for what Heritage brings, not only to my table, but to the table in the world. As the director of uh, civil rights for the unborn at Priests for Life, what particular issues or trends in today's American society do you think your uncle might be troubled by today and why? Well, I met Father Frank Pavone, the national director of Priests for Life, And he was reading a quote from one of my uncle's Christmas sermons. And it basically says, when we learn to value the human personality, we won't hate anybody. So the baby in the womb, all the way through the sick, the elderly, the poor, the young, the old, it it doesn't matter. We could be rich, poor, no matter what color our skin is, we are human beings. And that is a message. So with civil rights for the unborn, and that's my department, I say a woman has a right to choose what she does with her body. The baby's not our body. Where's the lawyer for the baby? How can the dream survive if we murder the children? So that's the message that we continue to carry. And we believe that people are now listening. And finally, Dr. King, I want to ask, how do you personally observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Are there any traditions that you and your family have in celebrating his life? Well, there's a service, a commemorative service at Historic or the Heritage Sanctuary of Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'll join members of my family there. A day on and not a day off, a day of service and loving and serving others is very important. And I believe that if we continue to work together as human beings, one blood, Acts 1726, 
I believe we will continue to overcome some of the obstacles that often try to beset us. But we do keep pressing on towards the mark of our high calling in Christ Jesus. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. In The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. Heritage Foundation President Kay James wrote this about Martin Luther King Jr. I often think of Dr. King's words, especially when confronting the problems that continue to plague our great nation. Education inequality, welfare dependence, family breakdown, the loss of faith, and the coarsening of our culture. If Dr. King could be with us today, would he applaud us for realizing his vision? Or would he urge us to press on? In my heart, I know it would be the latter. Well, we're going to take a moment now to listen to the powerful words and inspiration of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, The Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. 
This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hoped that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, 
We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. 
Go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning 
my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast comes to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash briefing. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us, and it helps spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, and Mark Guiney. For more information, visit dailysignal.com.